Hi there, I'm Shelby. I'm the host of Scare You to Sleep, and I'd like to welcome you to the third annual Kids Halloween Special. Tonight, we have stories for you from ages four and a half all the way up to 12. Now, I put the stories in order of age from youngest to oldest. So for those of you parents and guardians who think the older kids' stories may be a little too scary, once you get to a certain age, you can just cut it off. I want to thank all my authors. I have some new and some returning from years past. I love to see how your stories continue to grow and change and improve just like you. Now, that's enough yammering on from me. Happy Halloween and on with the scares. Best Friends Forever by Danica F. Age Four and a Half There are bats, and they were good. They were trying to help me get back to my home. Because they were trying to put me in jail. The bad guys. And then, the bats saved me. And then, once upon a time, Daddy and me and Daddy's friend and my friend Henry were trying to get home, and when me and Henry looked back, there were four ghosts. And when we turned around, there was a scary mall. Me and Henry were superheroes. PJ Masks. And Daddy and Daddy's friend didn't know. Then Mommy, my sisters, and Austin, our dog, saved us from the scary ghosts. I love you. Scared to Death by Raghav Chakravarti, age five. Once there was a kid who was going through a forest. He saw a scary shadow. He didn't mind it, but as he got closer to the shadow, He was a bit scared. Everything was getting darker and darker and darker. Then he saw the monster. The monster took his long nails and scratched the kid's chest and killed him for all eternity. The Pumpkin Monster Wants Your Candy by Cora Bailey, six years old. A pumpkin jack-o'-lantern was placed on a scarecrow's head. It became the Pumpkin Monster. On Halloween night, the Pumpkin Monster came to life. It had sharp, pointy teeth. The Pumpkin Monster watched a little boy and a little girl approach the house to trick-or-treat. The boy's name was Emmett, and the girl's name was Katie Kay. After they had their candy, The pumpkin monster jumped out of the shadows and chased the boy and the girl. The pumpkin monster caught Emmett, but Katie Kay kept running and escaped. Give me your candy, the pumpkin monster said in a growling voice. Emmett was scared. An older kid saw this happen. The older kid was a girl. Her name was Lena, and she was dressed as a ballerina. She danced over. Lena tried to save Emmett, but she also got caught by the pumpkin monster. The pumpkin monster growled at the ballerina. Give me your candy, 
Then, the first little girl, Katie Kay, came back. She pulled the older girl away, and the older girl pulled the boy away. Together, they tore the pumpkin monster's jack-o'-lantern head off the monster's shoulders. They threw the pumpkin head into the street. The head splattered. The danger was over. The three kids yelled, Bye-bye, scary monster. You'll never get our candy. The end. This next one is Untitled by Jensen, age nine. There once was a crooked house that was haunted by a black-eyed family with messed up jaws. On the last day of September, a family moved in. They started unpacking, but before they could get fully unpacked, they heard a strange sound. It sounded like wailing. Then, things started to move around without any wires attached to them. Then, one of the children went missing. Then, the cat. And then, all the jewelry ended up being buried in the backyard. A friendly ghost told them to leave before midnight. Then, the black-eyed family showed up. They used their wobbly jaws to devour the dog in one gulp. Then, the clock struck midnight, and the whole family was devoured. The End The Frogger by Jameson Reddy, age 10 Alice was 12 years old and a half, she would say. She was also a sister of two 15-year-old brothers. Her brothers were obsessed with one thing, BB guns. They had every single version of BB guns, AKs, pistols, big ones, little ones, and even a little gun that would go only five feet at most. The Balloon Blaster 2000 was a three-foot-long BB shotgun that would kill a person in two shots to the body or the head. Alice jolted awake suddenly. She could hear footsteps above her in a very slow pace. She wasn't worried because she lived in a two-story house and her room was on the first floor. As Alice looked around her and realized she wasn't in her room, She was in the upstairs spare guest bedroom, still hearing the footsteps. Alice had a smart, kind, and brave personality. Still hearing the footsteps, she kept out of bed quickly and quietly and into her brother's room. The door was slightly cracked and she wiggled and squeezed through the door to not wake her brother. On the wall next to her brother was the BB shotgun cocked and ready to fire. In a quiet and crouched way, she tiptoed to the wall and reached for the BB gun. As it was almost in her hands, her brother started to wake up. It usually took about three seconds for him to open his eyes and see her, so Alice reacted fast. She fell to the ground and rolled under the bottom of his bed. The brother opened his eyes, looked around, and fell back to sleep. She got out from under the bed, took the BB gun, then grabbed the flashlight next to it, and headed to the attic. Alice pulled down the attic rope, and the stairs fell to her foot level. 
There was a sudden feel of fear rushing through her body. When Alice was at the bottom of the stairs, there were still slow footsteps. But when she was climbing and at the top, the footsteps stopped. The thing knew she was there and after it. At the top of the stairs, Alice saw something. It looked like a human, but at the same time, she could not tell. As Alice moved closer, she could tell what it was and what it was doing. The thing was a woman with a knife in her hand, and she was next to a dead body. The woman looked straight into Alice's eye and started to chase her in a maniac way. Alice cocked back and shot the woman quickly. The woman fell to the ground in pain. The woman said, Please help me, in a begging way. Alice felt bad and started to walk closer to the woman in a slow pace. Eventually, she got there and put her hand out for the woman to grab to pull up. The woman smiled and put her left hand out, but at that moment, she pulled out the knife. Alice tried to run away, but the woman was grasping her tight. The woman stabbed her knife through Alice's hand, and Alice screamed in pain, waking her family up. The woman let go, and Alice ran back to the BB gun. Alice picked it up in fear and told the woman, Yippee-ki-yay, jerk! Now, Alice was very mad, so she cocked back and killed the woman. She went downstairs, covered in blood, and her hand needed immediate medical attention. Her parents took her to the hospital, and her hand got better eventually. But there was one thing that never healed. The fear of that crazy night happening. Happy Birthday, Ziad, by Desmond Olguin, age 10. Chapter 1 Surprise, Ziad! Everyone was hiding, waiting for Ziad to come home. Hope and Josh were hiding behind the TV. Rebecca, Timmy, and I were behind the couch, and my little brother Sammy was in the corner. He asked me, James, how old is your friend turning? I replied, Ziad's turning 11, Sam. Now go hide. He'll be here any second. A few minutes later, Ziad arrived. Hello? Is anyone home? He shouted as he turned on the light. Surprise! Everyone screamed. Wow, thanks for the surprise. I thought you forgot. Well, come on, old friend. Let's play some birthday games, said Timmy happily. Chapter 2. Sammy Goes Home We were all playing some fun, normal birthday games like pin the tail on the donkey, hit the pinata, and musical chairs. And then it was time to sing happy birthday. We were all about to start singing when Ziad comes out of the bathroom. Suddenly, the light went out. Screamed a noise from the bathroom. Then, the light came back on and Ziad came out. Ha <laughs> ha, you fell for it. Oh, it was a prank? <laughs> I laughed. But then I saw Sammy opening the door to leave. Sammy, where are you going? It's time to cut the cake. 
it's your friend, he said, his breath quickened. His eyes turned red, but before it was brown. I did not believe that for a second, but I should have. I'd do anything to go back and fix that, but I didn't, and now I regret that. Look, Sammy, if you want to go home, then leave. Just go, I screamed at him. Chapter 3, The Door Come on, everyone, let's sing happy birthday to Ziad, Hope said. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Ziad. Happy birthday to you. The lights went out. Again. Rebecca screamed. The light went back on, and Ziad was chewing on Rebecca's leg. The body and head on the floor. Her pupils weren't there, and the blood was all over. Sorry if I ruined the party, but I need your hearts. Ziad said in a deep voice as he ripped out Josh's heart. Everyone started running upstairs while screaming very loudly. I was terrified. Come on, let's play, he shouted. That was the last time I saw Timmy. Guys, we have to pick up the pace. He's gaining on us, Hope shouted. Quick, that door. I have a lock in my pocket, I said, running out of breath from all this running. We went in and locked the door. Click. What happened to him? Tommy shrieked. I, I think he's possessed, Hope whispered. Wait. What is this? A bedroom? I spoke. Let's hope Ziad will cool down. Chapter 4 Through the Closet The room looked normal. It had two pictures on the wall, a fancy bed, side table, lamps, and a big old closet made out of wood. Why is it so quiet? Are you okay? You can come out said as he cut the door in half with a chainsaw. Ah! Quick, hide in the closet! Wait, what? The closet was a hallway that led to a secret room. We're safe for now, Tommy said. The secret room was small, had a coffin, a table with a potted plant, and a mask. Looks like he has no intention of calming down, I said catching my breath. Well, they might have killed Josh and Rebecca, but... Um, James? No, Hope, let me finish. But we can still... James? No, Timmy, let me finish. We can still sur... Behind you! They shouted. I quickly turned and a lady came out of the coffin. You can't be here. Get out! She spoke. Suddenly, a door opened out of nowhere, and we ran through. Chapter 5. The Exit We went in, and Timmy spotted something in the distance. Hey, look guys, it's an exit, 
We can still get home. Yeah! Alright, let's... Drip. Something fell on Hope's nose. It was blood. We looked up. Oh, there you are. <laughs> I've been looking for you. And then, Ziad grabbed Hope's chest and ripped out her heart. Blood spatted on my face. Run! Timmy said. It was right there. I looked back, and Ziad was gaining on me. I felt heavy breathing behind me. He scrapped my leg with his claw. I fell on the hard floor. Timmy, help! I saw Timmy run towards the exit. And that's all I remember. Now here I am, writing it in my book, at heaven. Meanwhile, Ziad walked to his master. Did you get what I asked for? His master said. Four hearts, my master. Four? I asked for six. Okay. One left, and the other made it out. Well, if you don't go get those kids' hearts, then I can't do the ritual. So if you don't get those hearts, you will be the replacement. Okay, Master. Surprise by Lila J. Olkeen, age 11. I just moved into the neighborhood, and since then, some weird things have been happening to me. But let me start from the beginning. As I have told you, I just moved in, and because we moved, I have to make new friends and start a new life in this crappy neighborhood. Ugh, I just wish my dumb dad didn't get fired from his stupid job, and then none of this would happen. I was happy in my old neighborhood, and tomorrow, I have to go to school. That means talking to new people and making new friends. My nightmare is coming true. At school, things went as expected. All the boys were staring, and all the girls were whispering. Then, the weirdest thing happened. During math class, also known as three hours of boredom, next to the teacher, I saw something. I can't begin to describe what it looked like. It was shadowy and had these devilish blood-red eyes. And I think it was looking at me. I think the teacher might have pulled that off for the people who weren't listening in her class. But as I looked around, no one seemed to see it or were just ignoring it on the occasion. I looked back towards the teacher and it was gone. Right after class, this girl named Isabella came up to me after class and asked me whether or not I could come to her party. Then she kept blabbing on and on and on about God knows what, and during her insensitive blabbing, I think she mentioned once or twice about inviting the most people in the school to come too. But I wasn't listening. I was just staring blankly at her, nodding to some words and thinking rapidly, not about math. But that shadowy figure. At that moment, I snapped back into reality 
thanked Isabella for the kind invitation and rushed out of class. That night, as I went to bed, I felt a sudden presence either inside or outside my room. I heard a light flicker on, and as I looked at the bottom crack of my door, I saw black footsteps flooded in a yellow bright light approaching and stopping directly in front of my door. At that point, I saw my door handle turn as though someone was opening it from the outside. I didn't think twice about it because I thought my parents were coming in. I glanced at the doorway, wide open, to find nobody but air. I felt a chill go down my spine and I looked around my room and on the left-hand side of my bed, I saw the same crepuscular figure from math class. It stretched its umbriferous hand or whatever over to me. I was really scared. I don't think there's a word for it. Terrified doesn't even scratch the surface of how horror-struck I was. Its hand still reaching for me. Me sweating like there's no tomorrow. I woke up. Pretty shaken of my nightmare, I hopped out of bed. I noticed my door was open so wide, like in my nightmare. I wondered whether it was true or not, but I didn't think much about it because today was the day of the party. I was so excited, but on the drive to her house, I couldn't stop thinking about that strange contour figure I keep seeing. When I arrived at the party, everything in a normal party would happen. A pinata, tons of people, possibly the whole school, and a cake that had 14 different colored candles, and on top of that, icing spelling the name Isabella. I was grabbing more punch to put in my cup when I glanced at the table with the cake on it. I saw the same silhouetted figure. That was it. I was sick and tired of seeing that stupid figure. I was about to march out the door when Isabella stopped me and told me it was time to sing happy birthday to her. I looked back at the figure and he was gone as if he just vanished. After singing happy birthday, that moment, the room went dark, started spinning, and I had a similar feeling of being scared again. Subsequently, the room stopped spinning, and a light flickered on, only illuminating a tiny portion of the dark place, like in the horror movies. At that point in time, I saw that penumbra figure standing under the light as though under a spotlight. With every step it took into the darkness, a low-light skylight would catch its step, its devilish eyes on me with every step, not leaving my sight as it got closer, and closer, and closer. When it got the closest it has ever got to me, lights flicked on, burning my eyes with a yellowish color. Everybody in the party was staring at me, all happy looks in their eyes and yelled, surprise! I had no idea what just happened as the room started to fill with laughter. I joined in, not really sure what to laugh about. At that moment, as if robotically, all heads turned to me with devilish blood red eyes.
Ruby, age 11. This story is called Garden Girl. It's dedicated to a very close friend. The main character, Natalie, was walking in the garden in the back of her large house. She adored the garden ever so much. She would find great hiding places every time she was in it. One fine day in mid-spring, Natalie found that she had wandered a bit too far away from her house. The garden was relatively large and Natalie got lost easily. It was as if the garden grew bigger every time she visited. Natalie looked back in the direction she thought she'd come, but she didn't see any of her clever hiding places. She shouted, but her voice felt like it just bounced right back to her. She turned around to face the continuing garden and saw a small opening in the bushes. A new hiding place? Natalie ran towards it and the most lovely smell of roses and flowers hit her. She bent down in front of the hole and tried to crawl through. The petite body of a seven-year-old slipped in with ease. The opening continued so far the other direction that Natalie couldn't even see the speck of light she usually would have in any other spot. There didn't even seem to be an end. Maybe another day when she had more time. She turned around, but the way she'd come in was gone. There was no opening. Not anymore, at least. It looked like it hadn't been there in the first place. Natalie anxiously clawed at the bushes, but it just kept getting larger and larger. She was trapped. Her curious nature had finally caught up with her. She eventually gave up and sobbed into her hands. There was no escaping. Death in the Box by Aiden De La Rosa, age 11. I stood my bike next to my best friend Lily's house. She is not going to like this, I thought. Walking up to the front door, I thought about how I would break the news to her. I rang the doorbell once, twice, nothing. I rang once more and I could hear scuffling inside. A second later, Lily opened the door. Oh, Katrina, what a surprise, she said as I walked in. Hello, Lily, I said. I've got some bad news. Can it wait for a second? I have something to show you, she said very eagerly. She pulled out two small rectangular pieces of paper from her pocket. They're movie tickets, she said, for that creepy haunted house movie coming out this weekend. I know you've been dying to watch it. Um, yeah, about that bad news? I'm moving. Like, today. In an hour or so. My mom didn't tell me until two days ago, and then we got so caught up in packing, I didn't get the chance to tell you. Oh, okay. Bye, I I guess, Lily said, clearly hurt about how soon I was leaving. Don't worry, I told her. I'll call you often. I hugged her, grabbed my bike, and rode off. When I got home, 
My mom was trying to pack what little we had left into the car. Leaving in 15 minutes, she called. As I walked into the house, I stopped to pet Samuel, our giant black lab, and went to my room. I added a few more items to my backpack, grabbed my jacket, and started out to our car. Getting into the stuffed car, Samuel raced in behind me and ended up in my lap. I had to shove him off of me and into the next seat over. This is going to be a long drive, I thought to myself. I was startled awake by the sound of barking. Samuel was barking right beside my head. After shushing him, I looked out my window. There, with a large, weedy yard in front of it, was a dark, two-story house. As my mom went to grab the first of our belongings, I walked toward the house. It cast a long shadow over the yard. I stepped up to the front porch. Something scurried past. I hesitated. Door should be unlocked, called my mom. I slowly turned the old rusty door handle, and the big wooden door let out an eerie creak as I pushed my way through it. I looked around. It was much bigger than the house we left, but it was dark, covered in dust and spider webs, drafty, and kind of gave me the creeps. I hear a faint, tinkling music, like something that would play from an old jewelry box, but I can't quite make out the tune. I jumped and let out a strangled scream when something suddenly crashed down beside me. Sorry, didn't mean to scare you, cat, said my mom as she was setting a large stack of boxes down. No, it's okay, I said after my heart quit thudding. I thought I heard music coming from upstairs, though. Well, that's creepy, said Mom, as she went out to grab more boxes. Hey, I remember that the people who lived here before us made a bedroom in the attic. Why don't you check it out? With that being said, Mom continued to the car for more boxes. Actually, that is a pretty good idea, I thought. Grabbing the banister lightly, I walk upstairs at a brisk pace. I was quite eager to see the room. Reaching the second floor, I looked around for any way that might lead up to the attic. There, along the wall, was another set of stairs. These stairs seemed to be older and much creakier. Making my way up, I noticed deep impressions along the walls. Large gouges taken out. Looks like knife marks, I thought as my heartbeat sped up. No, the previous owners must have owned a dog. They're scratch marks, I told myself, and immediately I pushed the idea out of my mind. Entering the room, the first thing I noticed was the dirty, raggedy old bed in the corner. I walk a little closer and saw there are so many stains on the quilt that covers the bed. They look a lot like old, dried, blood stains. I hear a muffled scuffling noise, maybe coming from under the bed. I step back a little and noticed more scratch marks on the wall that fade down past the bed. I've seen enough. I walk through the doorway and onto the stairs. Immediately, I hear the same music that I heard earlier. Now, though, I clearly hear the tune. It's Pop Goes the Weasel, 
but slower and slightly out of tune. It seemed to be emanating from the attic bedroom. As I turned to walk back in, it stopped. How odd, I thought. I searched the room for anything that might have made the music. Not seeing anything in plain sight, I crouched down beside the bed. There, an old kid's toy faded and forgotten. A jack-in-the-box. I shake my head. It must have shifted as I walked across the creaky old floor, that's all. Leaving the toy where I found it, I head back down to the second floor and find my new room. Satisfied, I head back out to the car to help my mom unload the car. After a long day of unpacking and carting things to this room and that room and upstairs and back down, we were exhausted. We ordered pizza and had a late dinner sitting amongst all the boxes we still needed to unpack. Upstairs and ready to crash, my mom helps me get sheets and a blanket onto my bed. We can't find the box that has all the pillows, but I'm too tired to care. I startle awake with something warm and wet on my cheek. It's Samuel licking me. Annoyed, I push him and turn over. I listen to the pitter-patter of his paws walking out of my room. As I'm drifting back to sleep, I think I hear that dumb old jack-in-the-box playing again. I sit up and listen harder, but now all I hear are Samuel's paws moving about above me. He must have gone to explore the attic. I lay back down and quickly drift off again. In the morning, as I stretch my aching arms over my head, and feel something warm, wet, and sticky in my hair. All over the bed, I look and it's dark red. I scream. Mom runs into my room asking if I'm all right. She is shocked to find me covered in blood. As she hurries over to me, a sticky blood drop falls from the ceiling and lands on her arm. We both look up and see a large pool of blood dripping down from the attic above. Mom tells me to go get cleaned up while she sees what's going on up there. When I come into the kitchen, Mom looks terrible. What did you find? I ask a little shakily. Oh, cat. It was Samuel. He's dead. I wrapped him up and we'll find a spot to bury him later. I could tell there was something she isn't telling me, but I don't push. Instead, I call Lily and tell her about Samuel. She loved him as much as I did. That night, we were too sad and shaken to feel hungry. So instead, we unpack some more. We quietly talk about what might have killed Samuel. Maybe a snake? I've heard that there's some out there that can make their prey bleed to death, I suggest. Maybe, she says as she gets up. I'll go take a look. You stay here. I'll holler if I see anything. Something tells me she doesn't think it's a snake. She's not telling me something about how Samuel died. I can tell. She heads upstairs and I can hear the sound of her footsteps as she reaches the second floor. I hear the attic stairs squeak, and then silence. All of a sudden, 
a blood-curdling scream. I drop a stack of books I had just taken out of a box and scramble up the stairs, calling to my mom as I go. Struggling to see in the darkness, I carefully walk into the room. As my vision adjusts, I see a pool of crimson blood leading to my mom's limp body. I hear wicked laughter and the tinkling little tune coming from across the room. I look up and I see the -the jack-in-the-box. It's wielding a large kitchen knife stained with blood with a twisted evil look. It starts to move toward me with a clank, clank, clank of its old metal box. It lunges and sinks the knife into me and laughs even more. Everything goes black. The end. Hotel Room 666 by Kiara, age 12. October 31st, Halloween. I love this holiday. Well, love does not fit me anymore. More like loved. Because what happened to me one fateful Halloween ended up stealing my very life away from me. There is a reason why I'm in this insane asylum. And it's not because I went crazy. It's because, well, they won't tell me why I'm here officially. But the events that happened that Halloween was filled with dramatic fear that literally led me straight into this situation. It all started four years ago. I was going up to my friend's house for the weekend, but she lived about five hours away, and I got a late start. Lucky for me, just as I was getting too drowsy to keep driving, there was a hotel next to me on the road. It wasn't much to look at, but it did have a room open, so I obviously check in and brought my bags and went to my room. Weirdly enough, my room number was 666. I know I should have asked for a different room, but I didn't think much about it. And more importantly, I did not know of the danger to come. I put my bags on the floor and hopped into bed. The walls were dusty, there was mold on the ceiling, and the floor was rotting away. What kind of hotel management lets their business just rot away? Literally. I checked the time on my phone, 10.30 p.m. I quickly put on some ASMR and then fell asleep. In the middle of the night, I swore I could feel something touching my feet. What could possibly touch my feet? Was it a rat? Ew! The thought made my skin crawl. I tucked my feet under the musty blanket in some generic outdated pattern to give me and my feet a little sense of security. I pull the rest of the blanket up to my chest and check the time on my phone. 2.59 a.m. Weird. It only felt like I had been asleep for five minutes. But that's how sleep works, I suppose. Anyway, I noticed that my ASMR had changed to a weird growling sound. I can't really describe it but it sounded like a faint chanting sound that I had never heard in my life. I decided to ignore the nagging in my head and close my eyes once more. 
no sooner than I had closed my eyes did I feel something tug the blanket at the foot of the bed. I clenched my eyes shut tighter, hoping that it will somehow help. Suddenly, the entire stiff-as-a-board floral pattern bedspread was pulled completely off of me and fell to the floor. I opened my eyes, only to see a black figure standing over the foot of my bed, looking directly at me. Our eyes locked in the darkness, and from there, I was completely paralyzed. My mind was running a mile a minute, wondering if I was paralyzed or if it could be that sleep paralysis that I've heard about somewhere before. What's in my room? What does it want? The panic was just too much, and I suppose that I had passed out. When I came to, I was in a room. Not room 666, but a room that was sterile and cold. I was staring upwards at a bright light that was attached to a fan. It burned my eyes like I was looking into the sun itself. I heard the same growling, low chanting noises from earlier, but this time it was coming from behind me. I rolled my eyes up as far as they could go, trying to glimpse behind without alerting anyone. As my eyes adjusted to the visual behind me, I get my first look at my kidnapper. He's tall, wearing a red hoodie pulled up over his head. He has a book in his hands, and I can see his lips moving in the rhythm of the chanting. That's not even the scariest part. We were not alone. Other men were to his left and right, all of their lips moving in sequence. One man was holding a cross upside down. I screamed and yelled as loud as I could, but no one answered. I knew I was done for. I heard walking above where the fan was, and then there was loud shouting from multiple men bleeding through the ceiling. The hooded men stopped chanting. They looked afraid to continue their ritual. The door must have been beside me because I heard a loud bang and the wood sidled and cracking to my left. The wood comes crashing to the floor and the men start to scatter as police officers enter the frigid room. Two more officers joined in behind him. The female helped me off of the white cot that I had been laid on by my captors and I ran out of the room as fast as I possibly could. I didn't care that I left my phone or anything else behind. I just ran and ran and wouldn't look back. The very last thing that I remember from that day is that I had been caught by someone in the street and sent here. Ever since then, I've grown to hate Halloween. And the worst part? I never got to visit my friend. They declared me missing on my way. My friends and family have no idea where I am, and no one will tell me if I'll ever get out of here. Perhaps the absolute worst part of it all is after all I had been through, my new, white, cold, and sterile room here in the asylum is number 666. Our Last Halloween by Amelia S. 
age 12. I don't know about this. Don't worry, it's a great idea, Stan said with a smug expression. No, it's not a great idea, it's stealing, I cried. It's not stealing, it's Halloween! The candy is free! I rolled my eyes at my brother. Yeah, free for trick-or-treaters, which we are not because somehow you convinced me to do this instead, I complained. Shh, don't be so loud, Stan whispered while looking for a candy bowl to dig through. Okay, so what's the plan again? I sighed. We go around after dark and collect the candy that people forgot to bring inside. Stan said, as if he was some sort of genius. What makes you think that people would forget to bring their candy inside? I asked. That house did. We walk up to the house, but something grabbed my attention. There's something in that bush, I say, while pointing at the shrubbery outside the house. The leaves were shaking. Stan and I looked at each other and slowly approached the garden. I reached my hand out and pulled back the leaves when out jumped a cat. It's just a stupid cat, Stan said. Let's just get the candy and go. We walked over to the porch and grabbed whatever that was left in the bowl. We walked down the driveway when I noticed the jack-o'-lantern that was sitting by the mailbox was rattling. I decided not to say anything since the bushes had been nothing. This must have been an animal too. As we walked farther away from the house, I looked back just to reassure myself that it was nothing more than a thing of my imagination. Another candy bowl! Stan said excitedly, not realizing that I had stopped walking. Molly? Stan turned and looked at me. We watched the sweet, carved-out smile loosen into a frown. Run! Run! I yelled. What? But how, how are... how are they alive? Stan said. Stan, come on! We watched the pumpkin become some sort of twisted monster. While running from it, the pumpkin somehow grew arms and legs. They looked like the same vines that made up the stem. You broke the rule of Halloween, the pumpkin yelled. It can talk now? Great, that's honestly just perfect, Stan said sarcastically. What does the rule of Halloween mean? I asked. And our very last story of the night is by an anonymous 12-year-old. And this is The Night Train. Welcome aboard The Night Train. Hold on to your ticket, or the Ticketmaster will have to eject you onto whatever place we are crossing. Yours is golden, golden as your heart. You are courageous to board, but courage will not get you far. Your cabin is on the left, 15th from the first, Please do not disturb our other passengers. Keep your watch on you at all times. It is the only thing 
that will not turn on you. The porter has brought your bags to your room. Enjoy your stay, and remember to alight at your designated destination. Number one, the first rule of the night train. Only leave your cabin at mealtimes. There are not only other passengers and staff on this train. You hear them, sometimes, walking the corridors, whispering, murmuring, wailing, running. You walk alone from your compartment to the dining car, and you eat alone. You return to your cabin after you have finished, and you only leave again when the bell is rung. Number two, outside your door is not your loved one. Do not open the door unless it is knocked on twice and a position is stated. It is night, and you hear, ah, your significant other. They are telling you they love you and would like you to let them in. Do not let them in. They cry and scream and beg and make your stomach swirl so bad you would like to go to the ensuite lavatory and empty out the night's stew and bread into the toilet and flush it all down. But you can't. The moon is big and the cabin is cold. The blanket is damp with your perspiration. Your blanket is suddenly around your neck. The cloth cuts into your throat. You gasp. The room is staring at you, and the walls are closing in. Your loved one is pounding at your door, screaming your name. The room starts to blur. Maybe it's a dream. It's a dream. Your airway is being crushed. It is a dream. Knock, knock. Take it, master. Number three. There is no housekeeping. It's a train, anyway. Housekeeping, says a pleasant, musical voice. You do not answer. There isn't housekeeping. You stay silent, even though the voice turns into a growl and the doorknob rattles. You are scared. Your heart beats loudly and the door groans. The voice is cursing and snarling outside, and the door is going to collapse any minute now. You crouch down, your hands over your ears. There is a crash. The doorknob tumbles to the floor. A gnarled, clawed hand reaches in. And there is silence. You stand up, cautious, glancing around. The doorknob is fixed. And you are alone. Number four. If the lights go out, don't come out of your compartment. It's just a ploy to get you into the hall. You are reading. It is nighttime. The light above your head flickers as the train jostles you over a bump. The light goes out, throwing you into pitch darkness. A sliver of light comes from under your door. You know that it should form shadows, but there are too many, and you are the only person in the room. Are you? You see one too many shadows. You are not moving, but a silhouette glides over. The shadows move. It is more than jerks and movements of the train. The book in your lap is held with damp hands. You can only hear your breathing. It sounds too loud, and you know it is in the room, listening. 
It is a part of you. It is always there. But now, more than ever. It slithers over, but you hear footsteps on the oak. Run. It whispers. The lights are back on. Number five. You may see or hear things that tell you to leave. They warn against the rules. Listen at your own risk. Your night was a night of strange dreams. There were voices, out of the darkness, warning you. They burrowed into your ears and into your head. They tell you to leave while you still can, for the night train is all but a train. When you go to wash your face, the mirror is painted with black words. Run. Go. Leave now. You stand there, toothbrush in hand. It wasn't the voice in your head that read it. It was a distorted voice, deep and gravelly. You can uncomfortably feel every bit of yourself, from the night clothes on your skin to the hair on your neck. When you return from breakfast, the words are gone. Number six, always disembark at your designated destination. You have seen things out of your compartment window Purple skies, blue trees, green and black birds, people without shadows, animals without eyes, eyes looking from trees, near invisible creatures flitting by. They are wonders for sure, but there too are horrors. Each destination is for their passenger. We will not stop you if you would like to disembark, but it is with great regret that you will not see the night train again, or anyone you know, for that matter. You enjoy the sights from inside. Number seven. If at 3.33 in the morning, you hear someone pacing outside, remain absolutely silent. You hear loud thumps outside. You wake, you instinctively glance at your watch. Three. 33. You are dead silent. You freeze up. The light beneath your door is gone. It is a moonless, clear night. Your doorknob rattles. With each thump, your heart beats faster. Your ears ring after every step. Let me in. You have to let me in. It's urgent. A voice whispers. You do nothing. You sit, you wait, and listen. The steps have become more frantic. Hands are pounding at your door. You hear muffled words. You listen to the fingernails running across the wood. Another two pairs of footsteps arrive. There is a crash. From under your blanket, you hear a muffled cry through the door. Something heavy thumps. Something sizzles and hisses. Metal clinks. Something is dragged over the carpet. You eventually sleep. The days stretch. No sign of your destination. Your ticket is riddled with hole punches. You can't see the words printed on the faded gold anymore. You rise earlier and earlier, awaiting breakfast while your stomach sears. Days bleed into weeks and months. You can't remember the food you had yesterday. 
Or was it this morning? Is it morning? You check your watch. No. It's midnight. You are getting thinner. You sleep every night on a diet of strange dreams. You dream of the train sometimes. Or maybe you aren't dreaming. Perhaps it's real. You have tried to remember your loved ones. You cannot. Their faces are smudges of skin. Your memories are films playing on dusty reels, pressed into moldy paper, flickering before your eyes. You cannot walk down the hall any longer. You mention this to the Ticketmaster. He says nothing, as usual. His cap is pulled low, down to his eyes. His uniform is spotless. The metal gleams gold, like yesterday and the day before yesterday. You are pushed in a wheelchair to meals now. You never know how you get in or out. You were just in, wheeled down the hallway, or out in your bed or on the chair. The food is always perfect, but it provides little satisfaction. No matter how much you desperately stuff into your mouth, it is never enough. The food you bring back to your compartment disappears. Maybe you shouldn't have followed the rules. You are frail, trapped in this never-ending limbo. The train's jerks do not affect you. You know when it will turn and when it will jerk. You never sleep anymore. You cannot. You are never tired, but you grow frailer and frailer, till you have to bunch up your trousers waistline to fit. Outside, you hear baggage being moved. You hear cautious, light footsteps. You want to warn them, but you can't. You are the night train. The night train is you. You belong to the night train, forever. One last time, the door shuts fast behind you. Thank you again to all my incredible authors. I hope to see your names again next year with some more scares. Some of you will even be graduating into the teens episode. Speaking of the teens, that episode will be out Friday. So keep an eye out for some more Halloween fun from the leaders of tomorrow. Now, remember to drink your water, go get some sleep, sweet dreams, and happy Halloween.